Hey everyone, I'm Karen Walby Solomon, and welcome to What's IGN Crushing On, IGN Africa's official entertainment podcast. I'm your host, and I'm joined as always by my producer and editor Rebecca Barchers. So, this is a show where we discuss all things entertainment and pop culture with a new guest every week. We bring recommendations, news, and fun facts, sometimes touching on the more serious issues surrounding these topics. This week's guest is Tekla Kiolfi, editor and founder of music website Tex in the City and the host of the podcast Tex Talks. She's spoken to a host of musicians on the podcast from The Lumineers and Passenger to Nasty C, um, Questa, Zolani, just a range of, of amazing musicians, local and international. So if you're a fan of music, that's a podcast you should definitely check out. But first, listen to her talk here, of course. Um, Tecla has been in the music industry for over 10 years, and she was also named one of Mail and Guardian's top 200 young South Africans. So we chatted about lots of things, and she's an extremely interesting person. But like in particular, we spoke about the time she auditioned for Idols and her opinion of, of what music competitions do for up-and-coming musicians in the industry. She spoke about what she thinks of this year's Grammy nominees, the DJ Lag situation. So much, so much knowledge, so much information. Like This is definitely an interview you want to listen into. So yeah, I'm not going to chatter anymore and just say, here's our interview with Tekla. So hi, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really touched that you said yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> so how are you doing? How have you been? I'm, I'm okay. I mean, it's been, it's been one hell of a year, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. I, you know, you know what, this is going to sound really weird, but I actually really enjoyed level five lockdown <laughs> because, because there was some, some sort of like strange camaraderie that we were all in the shit yeah. together. You know what I mean? We all didn't have access to cigarettes. We all didn't have access to booze. Like we were all at home, me with my five foster cats and my housemate, like, you know, but now that we're in level one, like it's, the way that people are acting is completely dependent on you know, your own personal preference. Yeah. So nothing has really changed for me. I've had the odd Joel. I mean, if there's anybody who knows me who's listening to this, I'll be like, yo, she's a liar. But like, <clears throat> but I have had the odd Joel. But generally, I'm trying to keep to myself also because I have to move around. So I'm in Joburg at the moment, but I move around from Cape Town to Joburg for work. And when I go to Cape Town, I stay with my parents and they are high risk um yeah they're like in the highest high risk category that you can get so out of respect for them because god forbid anything had to happen to them and i had to be the cause like i'd never forgive myself so i've tried been trying to keep to myself but it's really hard because like people are just living their best like corona free lives like you would never think that there is like a second wave coming do you know what i mean yeah and i don't want to be i don't want to be that you know, negative Nancy's like, there's a second wave coming. But there is a second wave coming, okay? <laughs> like, there is. And all of my, like, homies are out jawling. They're like, oh, come to Romeo's, come to Blondie's. I'm like, no. Because, <laughs> because, but as much as I want to, like, 
ah, so it's th this like push and pull. So, you know, I just stay at home with my foster cats. But it's like that whole like FOMO thing because yeah. even though you want to stay at home, you also don't want to miss out on what everybody else is doing. Exactly. But however, this has given me a very good opportunity to like catch up on things that like, or, or just maybe invest in things that I necessarily wouldn't have the time to. Like I started baking during lockdown, which is amazing. Cause like, like I don't normally go jaw on a Friday night and then I'd wake up Saturday morning and then be supremely hungover. But obviously during prohibition, AKA level five, there was no jawling on a Friday. So I'd wake up like early on Saturday morning and be like, what am I going to do with my life? And then I started baking and my housemate was like, this is just amazing. Cause every morning, cause he wakes up, it doesn't matter like what day it is. He'll wake up at like 10, 11. And I will have been up since like six o'clock and I made these amazing muffins. And he's just like, wow, like never move out. Like just live <laughs> with me forever. But also, I mean, there was that, like I got into baking, which was really cool. But then um, I also got rid of a lot of like, toxic I say toxic behaviors but the word toxic is so layered but like mm. I was a heavy smoker for years like in when I started out it was like two packs of cigarettes a day it was pretty gross um but, you know to each their own like you know people still smoke and that you know I, I don't want people to be like you're okay like you, you must hate me now because I'm a smoker but it got to the point where it just for me it wasn't like it anymore mm. um and I tried everything to try and quit smoking and it was fine during the day but then as soon as I go out and have that first drink I'm like oh, dying for a cigarette like need that scape and 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 level five just just made me stop like mm. complete cold turkey no gum no patch no you know oh. strange cravings or anything and I I haven't I haven't had a cigarette since the 16th of February Wow, so, that's like before lockdown. I know, exactly. So, so I lived my best life just be, just before lockdown when like Corona was kicking off still like in China. Mm. Um, I had booked a, uh, a holiday to, uh, where did I go? I went to Sydney to see a friend of mine who I grew up with in Cape Town who's been living there for the last few years. So I went to see him and, and his brother who just gotten engaged. And like living my best Bondi, like my best Bondi life. And my parents would call me and they'd be like, listen, Tekla, there is some shit going down in China. Because this was end of Jan. They were like, are you sure you're going to be able to come home? And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me check the news. Because I was in Australia, I wasn't watching because mm -hmm. I'm like, I religiously watch CNN um, and news to keep up with stuff like that. Hadn't picked up a newspaper, hadn't read CNN, hadn't done anything. And then I checked and I was like, oh my God, like, I think Australia is going to go on lockdown. And I, but I was leaving three days later. It's like, thank God. I'm there. I was there in like Sydney airport. Like no one was wearing masks. And I, I just, I think now I'm like, I'm very, very, very lucky. But that was my last, uh, my last big, big jaw before, <laughs> before I came back and then, and then had the shack put on me and couldn't go anywhere. Oh my God. Now I'd like one, one thing you have to know about me, like I am, I'm such a nomad. And I love oh. to move around. Like, um, you can't you can't pin me down. Somebody said to me the other day, a friend of mine was like, yeah, tech's never in the city. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. I love, I love that. But, but yeah, so so the beginning of lockdown was hard, but but I settled into like a really nice 
routine and a really nice rhythm, mm. much more so than I have for like years. Like years I've been trying to eat healthy, stop smoking, and all of a sudden lockdown, you know, mm. did that for me. So I think I was just lucky because there were a lot of people who really struggled like mentally as well. Yeah. So tell me about like your origin, the origins of your love of music and where it all started. So good question. Very good. No one's asked me this in a, in a, in a while. Um, so I think I always love music. Like I play piano in school. I was in the choir in school. I was also in like the special choir. They called it the madrigal choir. We used to sing at weddings on the weekends, which we never got paid for anyway, whatever. Since the France, I'm going to send you the bill. Um, and I just, I just loved singing and I loved music. And I grew up in a very musical household. That very cliche answer I'm going to give you now, like, yeah, my mother played me the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And like, yeah, that's where my love of music. Um, but she really did. She really did. And my dad, my dad was more like, a rocker so he was like Eric Clapton and then my mother was like Phil Collins you know what I mean so it's like that kind of so I grew up in a in a household that listened to like completely like different kinds of music and then when I matriculated I took two years off and well I took one year off and then one year ended up being two anyway that's a whole nother story and then I started working at a live music venue that had just opened up in Long Street called Zula Soundbar Mm. and I lied and I said that I could bartend and 20 minutes into my first shift, the owner was like, you can't bartend, but instead of kick me out, they very nicely kept me and they were like, okay, cool. We like you. We like your vibe. So what we're going to do is we're going to train you up on the service bar so you can service the waiters. And then the bar- the head bartender will show you how to make cocktails. And, mm. and back then the only thing I knew about alcohol was like Savannah dry. Like that was the extent of my knowledge because that's all that I drank at the time. So he was very cool and he, he taught me about wine and cocktails and beer and I, like and, and all different spirits and all that kind of stuff. And I worked at Zula, I ended up working at Zula for three and a half years. And that was my in into the music industry in South oh. Africa. Because at the time, that venue was incredible. Unfortunately, it no longer exists, which is a huge blow to our scene. But the owners went on to do other stuff. Um, and the owners were very... Uh, Zoe and Vusa were very, they're musical musicians, very entrenched in the scene Mm. and wanted Zula to be a hub for musicians. And that's essentially what it became. And a lot of people that I still do business with to this day, I met at Zula. Um, And then I met a man by the name of Mike Smith, who started a free music publication called Your LMG. He used to come to the, the bar quite a bit and we started talking and then he was like, oh, I'm starting up this thing. I'm um, looking for writers. And I was like, I can write. This is like before I even started Text in the City. And anyway, it took me like three months to submit my first, <laughs> first piece because halfway through, I was like, yeah, 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 I'll go out. I'll write about one of the gigs that are here this weekend. Mm. But then the, the next week, I fucked off to Sicily for like a month, just like on holiday. I was like, whatever, I'm just going to go live my best life. And then he, he emailed me and he was like, yo where's my piece? I'm like, it's coming. It's coming. I promise. I promise it's coming. Um, and, and then like a month and a half later, I submitted it. And then he was like, oh, actually this bitch can write. Uh, let me give her some, <laughs> let me give her some other tasks to do. And then I started writing every week, every week, but because LMG only came out monthly, 
yeah, at the time monthly, my friends were like, we really like your stuff. Like we enjoy reading it. It's funny. It's tongue in cheek. Like why, why don't you start a blog? Now this was 11 years ago. So social media in its infancy, like Twitter wasn't even a thing. Instagram wasn't a thing. Facebook was just a thing. Um, and I started, I started it on Blogspot. The proper OG. (laughs) Although I, the other day I interviewed, uh, who was it? Oh my God, Shane from Desmond and the Tutus. And I was asking him about the, the origin of, of Tutus and how they got together and whatever. And he was, oh no, I asked him about how they started, how they toured Japan back in the day. Because they've been going for 15 years. And he said, we got, we found the connection on MySpace. And I was like, yo, MySpace. Like that was one thing I never got into. MySpace was never, um, was never a thing. I used to check my boyfriend at the time. I used to check. I knew his MySpace login details. I used to go check which bitches he was talking to. But other than that, I never really like. I never really um, dabbled in MySpace. But anyway, I'm totally digressing. Wow. So then, anyway. So then I started Text in the City, and I really started it because I wanted to. I was in second year varsity at the time, and I, I I wanted to procrastinate. I didn't want to do any work, and I was in the library. And instead of being the li- like doing work, I would just refresh, refresh on Facebook, refresh, see how many counts, how many likes I'd, I'd gotten, how many people had, had checked out my post. And then I wrote every day. And I used to write about the most random stuff. Like my first post was about a friend that I had who was Irish and it was St. Patrick's Day. And I wrote about how if you see a crazy Irish man dressed head to toe as a leprechaun with a wig, with like a big shamrock, I was like, this is my friend, um, buy him a drink. And, and subsequently he messaged me the next day and he was like, Oh my God. Like I got so drunk because people, people were like, yeah, I know. And then I, and then I, and then I thought like, you know, I might have something going here. Like I might Mm. have a thing. And then I just wrote every day, every day, every day about random stuff. And then it started becoming more music focused because of what I was uh, doing at Zula and because I had access to all the gigs and because I was writing for ULMG, Text in the City just kind of took on a life of its own. Mm. And at the time, like there were, there were so many blogs because we, were, we weren't fully fledged websites yet. We were, we were still blogs. So it was mm. My City by Night, which still exists, but I mean, yeah. a more electronic focus. Um, we Are Awesome, which was incredible. And then they also had their component to We Are Awesome that was like Thunder.com where they'd go to all the jewels and take photos oh, of yeah. people. Oh, yeah, Thunder.com. Yeah, yeah, Thunder.com back in the day. Oh, God, I'm showing my age. I'm 34, whatever. Um, and then there was Don't Party, also electronic um, music-based but phenomenal. And all of us, we were like this little – oh, and then there was Mahala that was based in Durban. And we were all like this little community. And because like blogging – was in its infancy at the time when people, when advertisers started to contact us and be like, what's your rate for this? I'd be like, oh shit, I don't know what a floor rate is. I don't know what a ceiling rate is. I have no idea. So then I phoned Craig Stack from my city by night. I'd be like, Craig, what's my floor rate? I don't know. And then he'd be like, oh God, okay. So this is what it means. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really nice. I didn't feel like I was an island, you know, that mm-hmm. I was that I was by myself and the community was really nice, but one by one, they just all started like falling by the wayside. And I sad, but I think that the fundamental reason for that is that there really isn't a lot of money in blogging. Well, there wasn't music blogging back in the day. Now, different story, but 
you really need to love what you do and have a passion for what you do where, you know, you money isn't the number one focus, you yeah. know? Um, so I think that the reason that all of these blogs fell to the wayside and died out was because there was back in the day, no money mm. in blogging. Um, now it's a different story, but you really have to have a passion for that kind of work that where money isn't the sole focus. Yeah. Like for me, the passion was always number one. And when the money started to come, that was a bonus, mm. you know? So, so I really think that the reason that Ticks in the City is still around is because the team, the extended team were driven by passion and nothing else. And our love for, for music. Um, and it's, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> so what would you say is some of like the, the most, um, like the highlights of your, of your time? Oh, wow. Doing, I mean, you probably have a lot, but I mean. Um, okay. So personally, when I was nominated for Mail and Guardians, it's top 100 or top 200. I can never remember. I think it's top 200 young people. I mean, it's such an honor. I can't even remember uh, if it's top 100 or top 200. Oh my God. But that was incredible because um, I was, I was in such a, I was with such a great class of people, character mm-hmm. of people. Um, and I never, ever thought that like I would be nominated, that I would even, you know, be shortlisted for something like that. And to meet all of those people from different industries that were, you know, innovating and doing such great things, mm-hmm. the actual um, ceremony, the way, you know, I, I came up to Joburg and it was, it was at um, the university. That was just so great. Um, and the, the coverage that I got from that was also incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it took it really did take text in the city to that like next level. So that for me personally was huge to be included in the top, top 200. <laughs> um, but then, then I think for text in the city, there are a few projects over the years that, that have, yeah, that have just blown my mind and opportunities that like, I would have never thought I would be able mm. to get the opportunity to do something like that. But I think my after dark, series at the aquarium is like the jewel in my crown um my producer uh, from text talks is listening to this now he's like no it's the podcast i'm like no <laughs> yeah yeah the podcast is cool yeah, yeah it's cool. but but um but i i mean i'm sure you know this about me but i'm obsessed with the two oceans aquarium mm. uh it's 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 just i think it's just one of the most beautiful places in the world and I've got such in, like lovely memories tied up with that place, with my family and growing up. And then at varsity, when I was doing my thesis, I, I used to get very, very, very stressed. And I was spending like basically the whole day, like 24-7 in the library. And my mother was like, well, why don't you just go somewhere that can like de-stress you? Hmm. So I thought and I thought and I thought and I was like, the aquarium I like the um kelp forest the kelp fronds that move like that yes I'm doing the movement like it's like okay that yeah, let me go there and then I went there once and I went there twice and I went there three times and I was like mm, it's getting a bit expensive because the aquarium ain't cheap and then I real I went onto their website and I realized that it was I was a student at the time it was much cheaper for me to buy a membership 
it was like the price of two tickets maybe. Mm-hmm. And then for the whole year, if you if you buy a soulmate card, that's what they call it. It's amazing. You can <laughs> go into the aquarium whenever you want and stay for as long as you want, whenever you want. So I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I actually finished my thesis in front of that kelp forest oh, wow. because it was just so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it still is a place where I go and, and zone out and be stressed. It's, I've got good memories tied up in it. So when the new marketing manager of the aquarium literally slipped into my DMs and was like, hi, can I have your email address? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then, and then she was like, hi, my name's Ingrid. I'm sort of working at the aquarium and, um, also Ingrid Sinclair, one of the most phenomenal people I've ever worked with, like just so professional and like willing to collaborate. And she's just great. Anyway, I had a meeting with her and she said, I've got an idea. I know who you are. Like I've been following text in the city and the events that you've done at and union and around the country and whatever. What I want to do is I want to bring a younger demographic of people back to the aquarium because the kind of people who go to the aquarium mainly are tourists and families with children. So she was like, I want to make the aquarium cool again. And you just post about the aquarium like 24-7 all the time. So, you know, we might as well do something with you. And then she said, you know, she was thinking about doing an event series. She said, have you ever conceptualized um, something like this from the ground up? And I was like, yeah, definitely. No, I had not. No, I had not, but I was not going to let this opportunity slip through my fingers. I actually told her last year, I was like, our first meeting, when we had our first meeting, I lied through my teeth and I said, yeah, I could totally do this. And she was like, what? You were so confident when you were, when you were pitching it to me. Anyway, so then built this event from the ground up, like got costings, um, dealt with the, the the sound people and the engineers, booked all the bands, did the marketing. The only thing I didn't do was the artwork, which was the two two oceans aquarium. They've got an incredible designer. Um and yeah, and then we and then we launched first year and we sold out all three events. Mm. And then the second year we did, we added another event. We sold out all four events. And then unfortunately COVID did a number on us this year, which was, it's very, very unfortunate because it, the aquarium turned 25 years old this year. So it would have been, uh, we were going to go, we were going to go all out. Also the aquarium's birthday is one day before mine. So it's fate anyway, <laughs> just beside it. But, but um, yeah, I hope it's weird because I was talking to Ingrid the other day about the future of not necessarily after dark, but the future of events in the country. Mm. And I was saying to her, like, I'm not sure what they're going to look like um, because I'm not a, like, like me, for example, I was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be better in social distancing. I'm not ready to go to a gig, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's bad because when somebody like me, who my whole entire existence is tied up in events, in music, in live music, and if I don't want to go to an event, how does the average person on the street feel, you know? But then, but then again, double standards, people are super happy to go to a bar with like 200 people around them and have a beer. But what do you think is going to happen? Again, now that you're just killing me with the good questions. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I hope that the 500 vaccines that are apparently out there that are between 90 and, and, and 
100% effective. Well, they, they, I think there are three vaccines now. There's the Pfizer one, the Moderna one, and then there's a third one. Not the Russian one, Jesus, I wouldn't inject that in me. Anyway, um, but I hope that they find a vaccine that is like 99% effective and that that gets rolled out quickly. Um, obviously, people like you and I, we're not high risk. We're not health workers. We're not elderly. So we're going to be like the last people to yeah. get the vaccine. But I really feel like that really is the only way that we're going to return to a degree of normalcy when it comes to events. Mm. I don't really think that there's any other way. I mean, listen, the aquarium specifically, when they reopened, they were so good. Like I went there the day that they reopened and they reopened, um, I think it was just for members, maybe like two days before they opened to the public. Mm. But they had sanitation stations and they had blocked off certain walkways so you could only walk, they could like police, you know, that you you could only walk in a certain way. And they were monitoring everybody coming in. And, and, I, and I thought that that was really great. But I heard the other day someone mentioned something called COVID fatigue, right? Where people get tired. People get tired of when they get to a bar writing down their name on a sheet yeah. and, you know, they start putting pseudonyms down <laughs> and then they'll put their real cell phone number down and then, you know, then get their temperature taken. And I, I went to, oh my God, I'm not going to mention the name of the place because they're going to get into trouble. But I went to a place the other day and the guy was like, no, it's fine. You can just go. And I'm like, yeah, but what? Why? You didn't even take my temperature. What if it's like 105? I mean, I don't even, but I got my temperature taken the other day. It was 32. Does that mean I'm like dead? I don't know. I took my yeah, once <laughs> and, I, and then I was like, oh my gosh, it's really high. And then my mom's like, no, that's a normal amount. I'm like, I know oh nothing God. about temperature. I don't know. <laughs> to me, I'm like, and now is that good or bad? No. Okay, but I did somewhere uh, that you auditioned for <laughs> idols. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. I do oh my, my God. I did my research. I need I'm to- so shocked. Oh my God. I can't believe you brought that up. Um, sure. Okay. So, so yeah. So yeah. I might have had dreams of becoming a pop star once upon a time. Once upon a time. My name means divinely famed. My parents had like mad high hopes. The least I could do for them is enter idols. You know what I mean? Least. So, uh, yeah. Oh my God. But this was a long time ago. I think I was like still in school actually. I think I was in like grade 10 and I oh my god and I sang Faith Hills There You'll Be you know the theme song from Pearl Harbor oh my god (laughs) and um and I didn't even make it through to the next one so basically for people who don't know what happens when you audition for idols you don't go in front of the judges straight off right you first have a panel of people I don't know like people that they picked off the side of the road, I don't, I don't know, who are like, they, they basically say yes, or they say no, that's it. Mm. And then if they say yes, then you move on to the next round. Then there's another round. And then after that round, then you maybe get in front of the judges. So they're basically three rounds before you get onto TV, which is, which is obviously also like how, and this is really bad, you know, they get those, wooden mic guys yeah. that are super bad but they're very entertaining right you know you know then they go into the panel and they're like wow you're so bad you're a yes like you know <laughs> you're definitely in that category and I just got a straight up no 
not even like a you're so bad you could audition for the wooden mic nothing I was just it was just like cheers Isabel but and this chick there was this chick in front of me she the only way that I can describe her and I love Patricia Lewis so this isn't a diss she literally was a young version of Patricia Lewis but with 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 cheaper flashpoints you know what I mean yeah and she had like she had like the skinny skinny jeans on and this like mm. diamante top and like and my mother was like that bitch definitely getting through and she did she got through <laughs> she even got to TV. tv she got oh. to tv yeah 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 yeah. but then but then that was it hollywood mm. killed her no not hollywood where did they go in south africa joe oh, gold reef city San, or whatever San city. <laughs> gold reef city oh my god <laughs> That, and so that is my that was my idol's experience. <laughs> I, I, I must say, like I'm laughing at you, but I stood in the line one year. I didn't, I didn't make it to the end. I stood in the line, and then after a couple of hours, I was like, no, I don't want this, this that much. So oh, so you didn't even make it to the front of the line. You were just like, this, I'm done with this. I am done. <laughs> I've got other things to do. I've got Dawson's Creek to watch. Like I've got things, things I need to do. I was like, no, I'm sorry. It's, it's I came I, I came with a fan and then she left. And then I was like, what am I going to do now? Uh, and then I just left. But yeah. So I wanted to know, so what do you, do you think that music competitions are a good way for artists to get their feet in the door in South Africa? Definitely. A hundred percent. I do feel like there, I have to be very careful with how I answer this. But um, the prize that mm. you win at the end, I think that depending upon what that prize is, uh, it can kind of make or break your win. Yeah. So I know of people who have won idols, won idols in the past, and it wasn't for them because essentially you get signed to a big label and big labels, as much as a lot of people like to say that record labels are not a thing and, you know, they're on their way out. Record labels are a thing. Record labels are going to be a thing for a very long time. But what, in my opinion, it is, the function that a record label serves is that if you want to be a pop star, you sign to a big label. So, but if you don't, you know, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be an indie rocker, you know, a big mm-hmm. label, that's not where you belong. And so... It depends upon what your personality type is, but then, and then also where you, where you see yourself, you know, in your career, for example, I just interviewed uh, Tashé for Text Talks and she, um, she said she's incredible and she's so authentic and she's got such a potty mouth, I fucking love her and like, um, and, and very true to who she is during the show. However, like I didn't really get like, now I know who she is. During the show, I didn't really get her authentic personality like coming through. Mm-hmm. But then obviously Franny was her coach and then she won and then she put out her single. And now she's actually signed with Vaynant Mayberg, who is Franny's manager and also the basis of, of Book of Polisica. But she's in that extended family now where she can be herself. Mm-hmm. And like she wears what she wants to wear. You know, she doesn't need to get her hair blow dried and put on like a pretty dress. That's not necessarily her thing. Her thing is like jeans, Converse, T-shirt. That's her vibe, you know. She doesn't want to sing these kinds of covers. She wants to, you know, make this type of music. So I think she's a really good example of somebody who, one, 
uh, a singing competition, got her foot in the door, was exposed to people from the extended focal family, and now that's opened up massive doors for her. So I feel like every case is different, mm. but it's kind of like what you make of it. Okay. Yeah. So was text talks like a natural progression from text in the city? How, like when you decide to start it? Oh gosh. So text talks uh, was born out of a, a day drinking session <laughs> with my producer. That's, that's what happened. Um, my producer, Jonathan Ings, who's also a, a very good friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. He's super knowledgeable. Also been in the music industry for years. Um, and he knows everything about podcasts. I know nothing about podcasts um, or new because now he just throws me all these links. He's like, check this out, check this out, read this, read that. And I'm like, oh my God, Jono, it's like information overload. But we had drinks at Van Hunks in Cape Town. And he was telling me about all of the podcasts that he listens to and how podcasts are taking off and why don't you have a podcast? And I was like, Jono, I'm so busy. I don't even have time to brush my hair. Now you want me to start a podcast? Like, are you, are you insane in the membrane? Anyway, so then he, after um, a few drinks, a few tequilas, they, they have a very nice tequila special at Van Hunt. Um, I said, he was like, why don't you have a podcast? And I was like, well, why don't you help me? And, the, and as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? Um, and the next day, he'd, like, opened up a, a Google folder on his Google Drive. And then he was like, okay, th listen to this and read this and read this. And if we had to, like, do it, what would it look like? And I was like, Jono, just put a microphone in front of me and I'll talk. Like, <laughs> I mean... And then we recorded the first six episodes of season one. We recorded them in January, just before I went to Australia. So the world was a very different place then mm -hmm. because, you know, I could sit in front of Zolani. I could sit in front of the Kifnis. I could sit in front of Alice P. B. Lou and we could talk, you know, in Joburg, like I had amazing interviews with BCUC and Trezor and Ryan Murgatroyd. So I could also float between Cape Town and Joburg in the studio and then we released the first season um, at the beginning of April, smack bang in the middle of level five. And because everybody was at home and because everybody was looking for things to listen to, to stream, the podcast did, season one did really, really well. And, and I always say this, and, and I'm not belittling the work that like we've done or everything, but I don't know if the podcast had launched at any other time, if it would be would have been as successful as it is, just purely because of the amount of people that were on the internet and the, the eyes that were on social. So season one was just phenomenal. And we were like, how are we going to top this? Like, I, I, we don't know what to do. And also, how are we going to record? Because we were recording in studio. Oh, my. So... Um, I've had a very good relationship with Tom's for the last five years. I've been working with them. Uh, they've got eight stores around the country. Their flagship store is in Bramfontein, very close to where I live. And, and I, I, I called the marketing manager and I said to her, listen, wild idea, but I've got this podcast. And she was like, oh, funny thing. You know, we're actually, we've just gotten a whole bunch of these M audio, like, setups and they're perfect for podcasting and you know my boss is like a super huge fan of of the podcast so and then they gave me all this gear which I mean oh 
I, I can't. Like some of the people that I work with are just the best. Like I can't enthuse about them mm. enough because, and, and I always say when I talk about tech stocks, I never say I always say we because it's a, it's a team effort. It's not just me. Like I could not do this by myself. Um, if it wasn't for Jono, if it wasn't for, oh my God, Matthew, our other producer who, who is an editing guru, Al who does research, like Jess who came from Tom's and gave me all the gear. Like that's, that's the extended family. And, um, and yeah, and, and now we're, <laughs> we're smack bang in the middle of season three, like gigantic, like 15 episodes. I don't know why I did it to myself anyway. Um <laughs> But yeah, and it's it's been it's been a really great project to work on while I've been in lockdown. It's been really great to apply my mind to, um, and also at the same time, it's been very interesting. But I've seen podcasting in South Africa explode, like your podcast, phenomenal. There's another guy called Kids with uh, Kids Eat Toast sometimes, phenomenal. Like uh, there, and slowly but surely, I'm seeing all of these podcasts like emerge, and not just any podcast, like high quality, like cool, engaging content podcasts. And I really hope that the trend continues. I think it's one of the better trends to have come out of lockdown. Mm. Mm. So what are so what have been some of your favorite interviews that you've done so far? I think so. My interview with Questa was phenomenal. Firstly, because he's just got the most beautiful voice. He Sounds does. like he's gargled with whiskey. He or, does. Like no, he's just like <laughs> I could listen to him all all night. Um, and he, I mean, despite being one of the biggest rappers in the country and one of our biggest musical exports, he's the loveliest, humblest, most down to earth. He answered all of my questions with like a smile, mm-hmm. like he was funny he was engaging and I really didn't I didn't know what he was going to be like I had only heard good things about him but after interviewing him that just reinforced um like how much everybody loves him same with Casper Vest. Mm. I I was so nervous <laughs> I was more nervous interviewing Casper Vest than I was interviewing Passenger and the Lumineers like, I don't know. It was just weird. It was strange. I was like, oh, my God. Like, before the interview, like, two two hours before, I was like, should I have a glass of wine? I don't know. Like, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this up. Like, in my head, I'm like, it's Casper Nielves. Like, <laughs> make a good impression. Um, and he, as well, well, firstly, he was an hour and a half late. But, you know, rapper, rapper's prerogative. Yeah. It's Casper Nielves. I'm like, it's fine. You can be three hours late. I don't mind. I'm like, it's cool. It's cool. Um, but but it just that just made me like even more anxious. And eventually, oh, and his sister was doing his sound setup for him, <laughs> which was very. So he was like in another room, like doing a meeting or whatever. And then his sister came in. His sister was like, "Okay, cool. So um, I'm gonna sound check for him." And then like put the mic. I'm like, <laughs> it was amazing. It was just great. Um, and then he uh, he was very candid. Very open, very honest, and he even spoke about AKA. So that, that for me, I was like, should I go there? Should I not go there? Because I always have like extra questions that are cheeky, you know, like just yeah. those questions that maybe when I get to the end, if I've developed enough of like a rapport with somebody, if they mm. feel comfortable with me, then I'm like, yo, I'm gonna throw in, I'm gonna throw in a cheeky one now. And then I said to him at the end, I was like, 
tell me about this beef between mm. you and AKA. And without even missing a beat, he was like, man, I just don't like that guy. And I was like, whoa, oh my God. I loved it. Like I got, so when he said that in the interview, I was like, yes. And he said, but when he insulted my mother. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I love it. Like it's, it's, it's interesting to know that it's not just for show. Do you know what I mean? Like, like always have that kind that of is real beef. Yeah, like they really don't like each other. Oh my god! So yeah, so 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 Cuesta, Casper, and and my Trezor interview. So so Trezor, I met Trezor for the first time at Royale in in here in Craig Hall in Joburg when I was very drunk, very very drunk, and I don't know what I said to him. Um, uh, and I was just that I, I was so embarrassed. Anyway, and then Jono and him uh, have quite a good working relationship. And for season one, Jono was like, "We have to get Trezor." And I'm like, "I don't know if Trezor likes me because I'm really not sure what I said to him that one night." But Jono was like, "Nah, it'll be fine." So then he texts Trezor, and he was like, "Yeah, so um, we we love you on season one for text talks." And Trezor was like, "Oh man, yeah, I love text. She's got such a like." cool spirit i was like oh thank god okay <laughs> thank, thank god um and and it was really he's quite a private person like you don't really see i call him the african beyonce because you don't really see like a lot of stuff about him in the media like personal stuff like he keeps like he keeps to himself a lot and um yeah he he spoke a lot about i mean his <clears throat> his stories pretty much become like legend, you know, crossing crocodile infested waters, running away from his, his country, coming to South Africa, working in Durban as a car guard. It's a very inspirational story. And then going on to sign like a seven deal with, with Universal. And now he owns his own company. And I just, I love, I love, love, love that. And when we started text talks, the thing that was the most important to me was to be able to have an equal representation of male and female and other non-binaries in between, but also genres. So I love the fact that we can go from a Cuesta to a Trezor to jazz extraordinaire Shane Cooper to um, the Lumineers. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such, it spans everything and I didn't want to pigeonhole myself and be like okay well you know she only talks to indie rockers or mm. because because text in the city essentially spotlights unsigned and underground musicians from across all genres we've opened it up over the years like when we started text in the city the music industry was a very different place 10 years ago like m car was still a thing like mm. 5fm was playing like english rock bands that that was that was it i mean there was no com there was no armor piano mm. there, there was there was a like, trap soul wave that there is coming out now with all of these young kids so i wrote about what was popular at the time and i realized very fast this was maybe about four three four years ago that i would have to without sounding too dramatic I would have to adapt or die mm. because if I didn't, I was going to become very irrelevant very fast. So I had to strike that balance with still staying true to my core audience. You know, I didn't want to alienate them too much, but then also opening myself up to talk about a DJ lag or an MX blouse um, or a Shoma Jersey where it didn't feel weird and it didn't feel forced. And I, I mean, I have to give a shout out to my 
team of writers who are primarily responsible for doing that um, because they're the ones who write content on a daily basis. I kind of like oversee the ship now. Mm. I'm just like, you know, you read about that, you read about that, you read about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to write about this. I'm like, sorry, you have to. <laughs> um, but it it really is, it really is them helping me broaden my horizons mm. with what they write. So um, do you want to talk about the DJ Lag situation? <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But like, Megan Wright. Okay. So Megan Wright dropped a song called Culture. And it very blatantly plagiarized DJ Lag's Ice Drop beat. Like, it's beat for beat. I, I, you, you, if you listen to the two simultaneously, I can tell you right now that the only difference is the rapping over it. Mm. Like, that's it. And it's not Megan Wright's fault. Yeah. It's Will I Am's fault. Because Will I Am is the producer of the track. And he put out this half ass apology. I don't know if you saw it. Yes. He put out this half ass apology being like, it's not Megan Wright's fault. Damn straight, it's not Megan Wright's fault. It's my fault. But then he said, like, the, the, I, the credit slipped by me or I did. I was like, no, the credit did not slip by. You stole that beat. But also, this is not the first time that Will I Am has done this. He's done this to other artists before. So, he, you know, and it's very, it's very insulting because mm. it's like you just take a beat from a DJ that you think is not going to kick up a fuss because nobody knows. But will I am underestimated South African Twitter because yeah. we came for him. We came for him, and we were like, "We are savage. You are. We are. We are not going to let you live this down." So much so that we forced an apology from him. But that apology was pathetic. Mm. Like, what needs to happen now is is he needs to open his wallet, yeah, and he needs to pay him for the beat that he stole. And like. You know, it's very, very unfortunate, but this kind of thing happens all the time. And it's just fortunate that DJ Lag has representation whereby all of his paperwork is in order, you know, like all of his, his licensing and his, his stuff, you know. What if the, this had happened to some random SoundCloud DJ? Yeah. yeah. Or somebody who like is making incredible stuff and put up a beat or whatever, and Will I Am was like, "Hey, let me take this," mm. you know, and then and nobody would would ever know because this person with zero social media following would say something and it would fall on deaf ears. It just so happened that <laughs> Will I Am picked the wrong person. Picked the it's wrong brilliant. Person. It's a good thing that it happened like that. I'm so happy that it happened like that. Now we, we must drag him, drag him. And then DJ Lag, DJ Lag must, must keep us in the loop and he must tell us, like, did he get paid? I want to know. I want to know. I need to be kept into step by step. <laughs> What's happening? Okay, so back to the podcast. I just wanted to sidetrack and talk oh, about Oh, yeah, that. yeah. No, great. Um, so what, what, what has surprised you? What have you learned that has surprised you the most about, like an artist that you had a preconception about? Because I was when I was writing this question, I was thinking, I had no idea that I, I probably would never have known that Casper Noves plays board games. Right? <laughs> that interview. So, 
So when I interviewed PH Fat, mm. aka Mike Zietzman, who I've also known for quite a few years, we went down the path, but it got it, it wasn't aired, it got cut because we literally spoke for an hour longer than we should have. He mentions very briefly in the podcast that he is a fan of Jungian theory um, and a fan of psychology, various branches of German psychology. Did he not psychoanalyze one of my dreams? But we cut it. We should have left it in the pod, but it was so long. It was literally like a two-hour-long pod. And I was like, oh, my God. My producers were like, ah, I don't know if we can leave this in. Anyway, um, I told him about this dream that I had where I was running through this huge old Victorian house. And I was frantically looking for two of my friends who live in Cape Town. And I was going into all of these rooms, all these rooms. I couldn't find them, couldn't find them. Eventually, I found them. I found them in a room, and they were, they were playing some game. And they looked up at me and they were like, oh, they were very like relaxed, very casual. And they were like, oh, we've been waiting for you. I was like sweating out of breath, like, ah, where have you been? And I said to him, like, what does that mean? And he proper psychoanalyzed my dreams, saying like, well, they're in Cape Town and you're in Joburg and maybe you miss home. And, you know, the, the huge empty house represents loneliness and isolation because of lockdown and being away from your family. And I was like, wow, Mike, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, so, so that was great. And then uh, when I interviewed my Josie, also great homie of mine, I had absolutely no idea that my Josie was in like a hardcore Christian band back in the day. And he, his, his roots are in like, like hardcore music. I had absolutely no idea because he grew up in Durban and like that was never my scene. Like the Durban scene, I only really got into what was happening there later with like Gangs of Ballet. But there's a huge hardcore scene, huge punk scene. And I really only knew like Gangs of Ballet and Cindy Bormises, you know what I mean? So I didn't really know what was going on there at the time. And to learn that like Majorzy has so many different facets to him, somebody that I know as well. Mm. That was very cool. That was very cool. So who would your like dream interview be with? Like someone that you oh haven't God. interviewed yet? Frank Ocean. Oh, Frank Ocean. So my two, like, oh, I don't know. We have to make this happen, Karen. How are we going to make this happen? Um, so, so Frank, what's a, oh, my God, God, I love Frank Ocean. Um, he just, uh, I can't even describe and explain my love for Frank Ocean to you. There aren't enough words that will do it, that will do him and my love for him justice. Like, I just think that he's a genius. And the way that he uses lyrics to color his music is unlike anything that any artist has done in the last 10 years. I think he's one of the greats. I just wish he would release more music more often. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Frank Ocean and then Dave Grohl. So when Foo Fighters came down to South Africa, I actually had a little meet and greet backstage. But those things are so weird and they're like, 500 people line up in the line and, you know, you've got Deborah arm around you and then taking a quick photo and what, and then there, there's no real substance or connection. It's just like, hi, Dave, I love you. And then, you know, you get your photo and you leave. Um, but I feel like the, his personality just seems so warm and he seems, he's very charismatic and he seems super, super smart. And I feel like he'd have a really, like a few really good stories to tell. Um, and it was, you know, obviously I'd love to ask about like Nirvana because, mm. you know, you know, who wouldn't, but, but 
I feel like there's Dave Dave Grohl's life is so colorful. And he's such a colorful character on his own that we get stuck. Can you see that I've thought about this? Can you see that I've thought about what I would ask Dave Grohl? Um, but yeah, I just I think he's phenomenal. And then on a local front, I think I would love to interview. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to interview Claire Johnson from Mango Groove. Oh, oh love her, love her. Girl crush. Crushing on. In fact, can the, t- can the tagline of this show just be crushing on Claire Johnson? I love her so much. Oh, my God. And you know how obsessed I am with dogs, right? My dog is a rescue. Her dogs are all rescues. Oh, my God. And then she added me as a friend on, on Facebook, and I freaked out. And then I sent her, like, a million um, inbox messages, and she never replied. I was like, okay, maybe I came on too strong. <laughs> Sorry, Claire, I love you. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she won't be listening to this, but uh, leave it as a name that she will listen to it. She'll be like, like, probably. Oh, I love you, Claire. Please come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so many artists have spoken up about like how difficult it is to make it in the like the South African music industry. Why do you think that is? I think. It depends upon what kind of artist you want to be. Like, we don't, like, America has a center for country music in Nashville. It's got a center for for indie music and pop music in LA. It's got a center for hip-hop music in New York. Like, it's got all of these places where, you know, you can go to songwriting camps and, you know, you can go to all these things, but it's got infrastructures in place. Like, you know, like I said, if you want to be a country singer, you go to Nashville. It's just what you do. It's what Taylor Swift did. Anyway, um, but but here in South Africa, we don't really have that, right? Um, Cape Town is supposedly where all of the creatives are, you know, uh, but Joburg is supposedly where all the money is, you know? And, and being born and bred in Cape Town, I can only speak from experience by saying that that is true, 100% true, and creatives get musicians hit a ceiling in Cape Town. And um, when you hit a ceiling in Cape Town, what do you do? You move to Joburg. That's exactly what I did. I hit a ceiling in Cape Town and I moved here. Um, but what I discovered living in Joburg is that it's not impossible to have the best of both worlds. It's just, I mean, obviously I'm not a musician, so it's a bit different, but I think that there have been a lot of musicians that have benefited from moving to Joburg. I think somebody like Trezor, definitely. Somebody like um, Bonge and Clem Carr, who uh, are a a couple, but also are signed to Trezor's label. They're from Cape Town. Um, I've known them for years. I bumped into them when I first moved to Joburg and they were like, oh my God, we're earning like legit money. You know, it's, it's, it's proper. I mean, you know, if you're a musician in Cape Town, you've got a day job to supplement that income that you're not making, you know, when you're gigging. Uh, And it's, it's sad, but it's, it's also the way that the industry has evolved. Um, and there are only very specific types of musicians in this country that make money. But then again, you know, if you if you can write a good song, you don't necessarily have to be singing the song. Mm. If you want to write music and you can write a hit, you can live very comfortably. 
Yeah. So who are like the upcoming like South African artists that we should look out for? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, so I think she's already hit a peak, but Elaine. Mm. Um, yeah, she, I don't want to get this wrong. I think she's the first artist to sign to Columbia Records. I think you just right. checked. Yeah, it is Columbia. Um, so Elaine is a singer that you should definitely be keeping an eye on. Like, she released her debut EP independently, no backing of any label. And it was number one on the Apple uh, music charts for I don't know how many weeks. This girl, this matric girl, mm. like just putting out this music. And her following wasn't even that big at the time. I, I, I honestly don't know how it happened. And then recently she just signed to uh, Columbia Records, the first uh, South African, I think, and first African artist to be signed to Columbia Records, which is a division of, of Sony. Um, so she's gone. She's <laughs> she gone. Um, but there are, there's a guy, he hasn't, he's released two songs. His name is Delon John. And the, t- the two songs that this guy has released, it's like better than half the pop music that like Americans are making. And like America is the land of pop. You know what I mean? And this guy, he's like a kid from PE. Like also min social following. Like, and he's sitting on all of this music and he sends me songs and he's like, yo, I recorded this in my bedroom. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is better than Justin Bieber's new single. Like, oh, my God. So there's so much talent in this country. But like the question that you asked before about why is it so hard, it's because we don't have the foundation. We lack the infrastructure. Like, Delon John should have gone to some – he doesn't even need to go to a songwriting camp. He, he needs, like, a PR agent. He needs a radio plugger. And he needs somebody that won't take him for a ride and that will nurture his talent. Do you know what I mean? Because there are, unfortunately, there are people out there and they smell a good talent and they're like, ooh, yeah. And then they take you for all that you're worth and you sign all of these things and you don't know what you're signing, you know, and and the story doesn't doesn't end nicely. So I've digressed again. Delon John, amazing. Then there's another artist by the name of Tandor. He just put out an album's debut album called Ibusuku. Um, he signed with Universal. Phenomenal. And I interviewed him two weeks ago, not for uh, the podcast, but just uh, as a, sometimes I like to write. Um, <laughs> so as a feature for, for Texas in the City, um, which I still actually have to write anyway. But but yeah, he also like struck me as very intelligent, very eloquent, uh, and that album is amazing. Uh, if you if you need some new something new to listen to, go listen to Tan- Tandor's Ebusuku. That's really really good. And then I mean, there's so many artists. Like sure, um, but those are the two off the top of my head for now. Mm. Okay. Mm. So so what what other music are you loving right now? Local, international. So uh, the one album that I cannot get enough of is Tame Impala's Slow Rush. But also, so so Tame Impala, he's Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, and the album came out one week before 
I went to Australia. And when I landed in Australia, they've got this incredible music uh, radio station called Triple J. I'm sure you know Triple J. Also an incredible um, website as well. And Triple J is government funded and they play all, all kinds of music, but primarily like indie, pop, rock, like all of the stuff that MCAR used to play, for example, that, you know, we now don't hear in, in South Africa. And I got into my Uber, Uber picked me up from the airport, and the first song that I heard on the radio was Lost in Yesterday, which is the first single of, of Slow Rush. And I was like, oh, my God, this trip is just going to be amazing. Like, if this is the kind of music that they play <laughs> on the radio, like, I'm going to love this place and also that album was the feature album on triple j for the week so every time i got into an uber i'd hear a song oh, wow. so, like, ah. so that album reminds me of of yeah it reminds me of australia but it also reminds me of my last holiday my last free time for before lockdown so i've i've been listening to that a lot if i if i had it on vinyl i would have burnt a hole in it by now and then lately, uh, because, you know, you know, as you do in lockdown, you, you, I ate a lot and I was also baking. So I was eating more than the average person. So, I mean, you know, my, I've, got a, I've got a nice ass, but my ass is looking, looking a bit, yeah. So I've been, so I've been, um, I've been trying to, to, to work out, like I'm trying to get into a regime where, you know, um, I can fit into my clothes. And um, the, the album that I've been listening to quite a bit to help me with motivation. I need to listen, like when I walk or when I exercise or when I do whatever, it's got to be hardcore music. So I've been listening to Bring Me the Horizons post-human survival horror. And as you can tell from the title, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a pop record. <laughs> um, and it was actually the, the whole the intention behind the album and it was written in lockdown and there are a lot of, it's very pandemic heavy and pandemic influenced. And, you know, they talk about the government putting us into, and really the horizon are from Sheffield in England, same okay. town as, as the Arctic monkeys. Like I think they even went to the same school as um, the dudes from the Arctic monkeys. But, um, but yeah, so, so they're from the UK and they were responding to how, Boris Johnson and the UK government um, imposed all these restrictions on them. And so it's very, yeah, it's kind of like dystopian. Like, is it the end of the world? Is it not? Like, you know, what are the government trying to tell us? Mm. And I, I pick up something new every time I listen to it. It's very, they, they, there's some elements of drum and bass in it. Like there's some pop in it. Then there's like some like heavy metal in it. So, well, not like heavy, heavy metal, but, you know. That I've been listening to a lot. And it's really good to motivate me. Mm. So I like angry walk. <laughs> so what do you think of, of this year's Grammy nominees? Oh, my God. Or next year's Grammy nominees. Um, so I think The weekend was robbed. Blinding Lights. Oh, my God. Blinding Lights, not only one of the best pop records of the year. One of the best pop records that I've heard. Also, I don't know if you've noticed. Do you know, have you noticed, that the, the, the opening melody sounds a lot like AHA's take on me, the opening melody. Go and listen to it after, the, after this interview. Go and listen to it. You're, gonna be like, you're never going to listen to it the same way again. You're going to be like, 80s and pop for life. Um, but The weekend, yeah, The weekend was robbed. And obviously he's been very vocal on Twitter about 
the fact that he's been rubbed. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, there, there will always be things that go on behind closed doors that we don't know about. So we don't know if right now at least she said, but it sounds to me like, well, even though I feel that the weekend was rough, it sounds to me like it's a bit like a, of a sour grape situation. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I didn't, who, I mean, where did these Kanye egos come from? That people are like, damn, I was supposed to be nominated, but I wasn't. No, just everybody relax. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then I also am very, very happy to see that every single nominee for Best Rock Album is female, which is mm. phenomenal. That is phenomenal, especially after the last two years, the Grammys have been criticized heavily for not supporting women, focusing on women, shining a spotlight on them. So I feel like, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the Grammys were like, well, we're going to do five women in one category. Um, and, then, and then I honestly thought that BTS would get more not nominations. Mm. Because they just, I mean, they are, they really are a phenomena. Yeah. I've never seen anything like, not even when Justin Bieber still had his like emo cut and he brought out Baby. I've never seen such hysteria over, over a band. And I can't, still can't tell them apart. But I mean, they're very, they're, they're, like they're so, members. I know, they're gonna, like seven, eight of them, I don't know. And they've all got a different hairstyle. So you just need a hair color. So you just need to memorize the hair color and then you're fine. But, but they, they, that Dynamite song is catchy as fuck. Oh, my God. I was even considering making it my ringtone. Oh, it's so good. And I really thought, and obviously their first English single as well, I really thought they would have been nominated for more mm. um, Grammys. But, but one of the the categories that always every year just blows my mind and not in a good way is best new artist because i want to know what constitutes a best new artist because kate renata was nominated this year right and kate renata has been around like he i mean he's not a new artist do you know what i'm saying i know i know exactly um, what you mean yeah so i you know the way that they make certain picks like what the criteria is for mm. certain artists to be eligible i'd love to know what it is and then oh my god i saw the best thing today the somebody was bitching about best new artists and Nicki minaj out of nowhere came and was like yeah the grammys the in 2012 2012 eight years ago she was like the Grammys gave best new artist to Bon Iver, the white the white man. White man bon bon Iver. Iver. <laughs> what the, and I was like, Nikki, it's eight years ago. Are you not over this by now? <laughs> like, what is going on? She but like literally out of nowhere. I was I, that made me laugh today so much. Oh my god. That yeah, white but, man Bon Iver. That white man Bon Iver. Oh my god. Oh my god. Nikki, 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 relax, relax. I mean, she, Nikki's always hating on someone. If she's not hating on Cardi. She's hitting on Bon Iver. What did Bon Iver ever do to her shame, man? Oh my God. Um, but, but I mean, other than other than that, oh, you know, my Tame and Carla got nominated, which I'm very happy about. Um, but it's so weird. So last in yesterday, last in yesterday, yeah, that's yesterday, got nominated for Best Rock Performance. But then the album, Snow Rush, got nominated for Best Alternative Album. I don't understand the Grammys. <laughs> Don't understand him, but also we have to give props to uh, Trevor Noah for the ultimate blow up mm. from going from going to uh, hosting the Psalmist two years in a in a row to going to hosting the Grammy Awards. I mean, if there ever was a blow up, that is a blow up. 
Um, what does it say? Um, so what has been the best festival that you've been to? Oh, wow. So locally, up the creek, because it's so novel. There are just very few festivals that can rival it. It's on the banks of the Breda River and Swellendam. And, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful setting. But then during the day, from like 9 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the evening, people are just in the river on their lilos, like or on their inflatable blow up flamingos and stuff and then there's a stage in the water and it's just so great when internationally uh, two years ago we launched something called tour with ticks in association with monster energy mm. where i went to rock in park and um it was it was phenomenal it was a it was an all-star lineup it was my homies bring me the horizon it was the 1975, it was Tool, it was literally every, like, Slipknot, like, every huge hardcore band that you could think of mixed in with, like, rappers and, like, pop artists. It was phenomenal. And I'd also never been to Germany before, so to get to experience German people at a festival, they're so polite, like, in the marsh, but they're like, oh, my God, are you okay? Oh, I'm great, great. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Ger Germany was was phenomenal, and I really hope that um, we get a chance to do tour with Tex again. But if we don't, I'll, I'll definitely go back to Rockin Park regardless because, obviously, this year everything got postponed, but My Chemical Romance was supposed to play. And My Chemical Romance is one of my favorite bands of all time. And I... I promised myself that wherever there would be that would be within my budget while I would turn I would go. And they announced their American tour, and I was like, America's too far, America's too far. No, I know they're going to announce like a, um, a European one, and they announced all these dates for Europe, and then COVID happened. And I was just like, ah! My two favorite bands of all time, Gaslight Anthem, who I saw four years ago in New York. I literally, I quit my job I used to work for the streaming service Deezer and I quit my job and with my last paycheck on a Black Friday special, I bought a cheap ass ticket to New York and I, but I I'd actually bought the ticket to the Governor's Ball Festival before I bought the flight. That's how much I was like, I'm going to New York. I don't care. I'm going to go. And then I was like, oh my God, I just quit my job. What? <laughs> this is not smart. This is not good. Anyway, but yeah, it was worth it. It really was worth it. And I promised myself, like, I've seen Gaslight Anthem, I can see My Chemical Romance. Like, that's pretty much my bucket list done. Well, Frank Ocean. Because I've seen Foo Fighters. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Let's see next year. Vaccine, come through. <laughs> um, so what would you say is, like, your top five albums ever of any genre of any person? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I like, think you... <laughs> I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Okay, firstly, Frank Ocean, Channel Orange. Mm. Gaslight Anthem, The 59 Sound. That's another one, too. Shed Baker, Shed Baker Sings. Mm -hmm. Because, I'll tell you why Shed Baker. People are like, what? So when you listen to music all day, every day, sometimes it's just nice to come home and to listen to music where you can zone up. So I listen to a lot of jazz. 
mm. a lot of jazz. At my parents' place, I listen to a lot of classical music, which is great. So like something great to zone out to. And Shet Baker makes the most incredible trumpet player, uh, no longer alive, uh, heydays in the 50s, 60s in New York. Um, yeah, incredible trumpeter, makes great jazz music. But Shet Baker sings because he started singing later on in his career. He's got the most phenomenal voice. I can listen to that album all day, every day. So third one, Nirvana Unplugged, just because it's so iconic um, and because Kurt Cobain in New Jersey. Um, no, I, that, that, that album is, is phenomenal. Um, and then Jeff Buckley's Grace. I'm a huge Jeff Buckley fan, and my ex-boss was also a big Jeff Buckley fan as well, and we we bonded over that. So, I mean, those are the five albums that all day, every day, just put them on a loop and I'll be happy. Okay, on that note, thank you so much for doing the interview with us. Yay! This is really fun and really informative, so thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's only a pleasure, like... Uh, I mean, I, before I go, I have to give you props, and I have to say that, like, I've been, I've been listening, I've listened to a few of them, and I really like your line of questioning, and I like like how engaged you are, and I like how you let your guests talk, and um, it's, yeah, you're you're onto something very, very cool. So I can't wait to see how this podcast grows, and and how successful you and it become. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. That was our interview with Tekla. You can find her personally at Tex on Fire on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the website Tex and the City at Tex and City on social media. And you can also find her at, at Tex Talks where it focuses specifically on the podcast. Um, links to everything that we discussed will be in the show notes. Before we head out... Let me just do a little bit of a crushing on. So this week, I'm crushing on two things. Um, this seems like it's becoming common now. <laughs> but the first is the film Mank on uh, on Netflix. It's a David Fincher film. He He's David Fincher of Madonna music videos, of Fight Club, of um, Gone Girl, of the girl in the girl with the dragon tattoo series amazing filmmaker um he he directed this new film called mank and it's based on howard j mankovitz's life or a portion of his life howard j mankovitz was one of the writers or many will assume the only or the main writer of citizen kane which is considered to be the best film of all time which was starred by and directed by or starred by directed by and starring sorry english orson wells who all of you will know but anyway it's a really interesting film it covers the portion of his life where he's writing citizen kane and all the things that affected it amazing performance by amanda seyfried as marion davies the um, mistress of william randolph hearst who started the Hearst Empire, and um, it is believed that Citizen Kane is based on Hearst, so Hearst wasn't a fan, it was a whole battle. Anyway, it sounds boring, but it's really interesting. I have this knack of making interesting things sound boring. But if you're a fan of old Hollywood, and or fan of Orson Welles, fan of Citizen Kane, it's a really great film to watch. Um, secondly, very, very different, 
but um, the Euphoria Christmas special. I just watched this and I was enthralled. I was crying. I don't know if it's that time of the month for me or just everything about Euphoria affects me a lot, especially as someone who has a sibling who went through drug addiction. It's it's very beautiful and the it was filmed during quarantine and there's a short snippet of, of a scene with with Jules. Why can't I get to Jules? The actress who plays Jules' name. Anyway, with Jules, but um, the mainly the only cast in there is Zendaya and the guy who plays the sponsor. And the two of them are just discussing her relapse and how she felt after Jules left. And it just seems like it's very much a special. So it's not an episode of the show, but it's not season two. It's just a very, it seems like a small scene, but just very emotional, extremely well acted. If you ever wondered why Zendaya has that Emmy, this is case in point. She's excellent. And just, we're probably going to have to wait till Alpha season two. So I know that they are releasing two specials. So the first one will be out today, Monday, and the second one would be out probably later in the month. But yeah, if you're a fan of Euphoria, Please go head to Showmax if you in South Africa or in Africa. If you in the US or Europe, go to HBO, HBO Max. Like, excellent show, excellent special. Yeah, those are my two recommendations. So that's all from me. You can find me at Karen Walby on Instagram, at Karen Walby's with an S on Twitter. And sign up for my newsletter, Wild Streams, at wildstreams.substack.com. Also follow us on YouTube at What's IGN Crushing On. Um, our, our Crown Season 4 Roundtable is up. It's hilarious. Please have a listen, have a watch. Um, tell us what you think. Uh, yeah, it's video form, so you get to see all of us. You get to see me, you get to see Fanny, you get to see Pierre, you get to see Zayan um, in our glory. But um, yeah, take a watch. We'll have another Roundtable coming up soon, which you can join us for when... You know, if I will let you know on social media. I will let you know on the podcast. Um, but it's always better to follow us on social media and get the news first. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. The podcast can be found at, at Crushing on Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can find more information about this and all our other episodes at our website, crushingonpodcast.com and send any feedback to crushingonpod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group, Crushing On Club, where we chat about the show, celebrity news, recommendations, the whole shebang. Let us know what you think about what was discussed in this week's episode by sending us a voice note or email to crushingonpod at gmail.com. The show is produced by me, Karen, and Rebecca Barches. The show is edited and engineered by Rebecca Barches, our logo was designed by Nathifa Marouf, and the show was created in partnership with IGN Africa. If you like the show, tell everyone that you can any way that you can. Keep up to date with all our episodes by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review the episodes on Apple Podcasts, as it helps others find the show. We'll be back next week with another in-depth conversation with a pop culture lover. See you then.